and all that cool stuff. You know, SpaceX spends sending rockets to Mars, but we can't get a Skype call to work in 15 minutes. I know. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash iFreaks. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 169 of the iFreak Show. <laughs> I saw React Native and I got stuck. Today on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Lane Mosley. Hello from Utah. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Since we're talking about React Native, I'm just going to shout out real quick. I am putting on a React uh, remote conference in October, so go check that out at reactremoteconf.com. We have a special guest this week, and that is Tyler McGinnis. Yeah, what's up, everyone? you want to give us a brief introduction as to who you are? Yeah, for sure. So I'm Tyler. I currently am the CTO of a company called Sparrow, where we are building a few apps to basically help people who are affected by cancer. So I do that. That's kind of my full-time job. And then after hours, I guess you can say I run reactjsprogram.com, which is basically a linear approach to learning the React ecosystem. And then I also run like React Newsletter and then kind of, kind of do a bunch of community stuff as well. So I'm kind of all over the place. Very cool. So are you friends with some of the other Utah folks that are way into React, like Ryan Florence? Or- I am friends with all of them. Yeah, Ryan. So he's up in Seattle now. Merrick Christensen's my good friend. Matt Zabriskie, kind of all those guys. Yep. Very cool. So you're going to be at React Rally here in a few weeks? I'm planning on it. Yep. Awesome. I'm excited for it. I still need to get a ticket. Well, we brought you on today to talk about React Native and Firebase. Yep. I think people probably, especially on this show, have a general idea about what React Native is. But do you want to kind of give us a thumbnail sketch for those that aren't familiar? Yeah, definitely. So basically what React Native allows you to do is it allows you to take, if you're a web developer, if you're specifically kind of familiar with JavaScript and even more specifically React, it allows you to take your knowledge of those technologies and then build native iOS or Android, I guess, iPhone, native iPhone applications. Awesome. And it runs through JavaScript core. So it's it's pretty much a native app. It just doesn't run yeah, for the essentially. Objective so I, I, runtime. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not I'm not super familiar with, with the actual like implementation details, but the whole idea of React is that if I were to kind of give React Native in a nutshell how it works, uh, the whole idea of, of React is that kind of the selling point is you're able to take these like declarative, you're basically able to create like a declarative UI for your interfaces, which is really nice. And and part of that is React has this like diffing algorithm, which basically says whenever you change state in your application, React is smart enough to say, okay, it looks like the previous virtual DOM, they call it, look like this. And the new one looks like this. So let's find kind of the minimal representation of changes between the two uh, diffs. And then we'll go ahead and update the DOM with those changes. But in the React Native sense, there is no DOM. Um, so the idea is that it's still taking that underlying diffing approach, but instead of updating a DOM, it's updating like UIKit or Android View or something uh, kind of more native. So it's it's really interesting, a really awesome piece of technology and it kind of continues to grow and continues to gain popularity, which is which is great. 
So I am much more familiar with the React Native things. I've talked with several people. I've helped Natter Dabit put together the React Native radio podcast. Um, nice. So, so I understand some of this. I'm really curious to see what Lane and Jane want to know about React Native or what questions they have, because they're coming at it from a different place than I am. I also think it's interesting to just kind of point out where I'm at. I know nothing about like actual like Objective C, Swift, the Xcode ecosystem, kind of everything that they know. So it'll be interesting to have a discussion like me being super naive to everything like real native and then being arguably naive to the web. So yeah, I have a lot of experience with cross-platform frameworks. And so I'm also quite excited to talk about this <laughs> and a lot of a lot of opinions about that. I'm good and bad. So what what have you played with Lane? Well, you know, when I started, you know, with iOS 2 back in 2008, and the first thing I did was I wrote an app with a cross-platform web framework called Quick Connect, which actually was one of the first, if not like the first. In fact, as far as I understand, PhoneGap, which is pretty popular these days, was was kind of based around how Quick Connect you know, did its, did its cross-platform thing. And I've always been really cautious of them because, you know, that most of them are based on web technologies. And so, you know, the performance is usually pretty poor and you don't get a lot of the native, you know, scrolling and all the niceties that you get with the native app. But React Native is so interesting to me because it actually translates everything into UIKit. And so I'm pretty excited about it myself. Have you had a chance to play around with it at all yet? I did. So let's see, when did it come out? Two, was it two years ago? It was, yeah, year two years ago now. Yeah. It's been a, a while. Now. Yeah. I did immediately, you know, when it, when it came out and I thought this is going to be great. I didn't think it was great then, but yeah. I mean, two years later from, from everything that I'm hearing, you know, they've made some really great progress on it. And, and so I haven't picked it up recently. Um, I would love to, but I haven't done it recently. But I'm, I'm excited for the future of, of this type of, a, of, an, of an approach. You know, React is amazing. I'm, I've never written a React app, so I can't say, you know, this is why it's so great. But as far as I understand, you know, the architecture of how React works is perfect for this kind of thing, where it's able to push everything of the, in the view layer off to whatever view system possible. And that's just like the coolest technology. So yeah, as Lane mentioned, the previous you know, cross-platform technologies, most of them ran on some kind of JavaScript HTML implementation and performance was awful. This this presents a new a new paradigm where you're dealing with actual native components that aren't standard UI kit components. But most of our listeners are native iOS developers, our world are view controllers, UI buttons, that type of thing. What are the basic building blocks for building a React Native app? That's a really good question. So what's interesting about React Native, specifically if you're coming from like a, a React background, uh, is you can get up and running fairly quickly. So the idea, like like on the web, you have like divs and spans and all, all of those different elements. With React Native, instead of using divs and spans, you use like view uh, and text. And my understanding of that is that just like calls some native basically the native implementation for view or the native implementation for text. So if, if you're coming from like, it, if I were to recommend uh, someone who's like has no experience with the web, but they wanted to check out React Native, I would, I mean, what's really nice about React is a lot of it's just JavaScript. And I know a lot of you native guys don't, aren't going to really want to hear that or love JavaScript languages. That's fine. But what's nice about it is you can get up and running fairly quickly. And I think what's so cool about React Native isn't, I mean, 
the idea that it uses React and all the benefits of React is really cool. But what's nice about it as well is you get all of these like developer, these cool like developer experiences. So you have like a hot module replacement now. So basically, if you have some state in your application, you can go ahead and change some styles or change some logic. And the state of your application isn't going to get thrown away when you hit refresh. It's just going to stay there. Um, so instead of like navigating back to the same view you're on, you, it just kind of like stays there. It has live reload, which is really nice. There's some cool companies. There's a thing called Code Push, which basically allows you to push out updates to your app without having to go through the app store, which is really nice. So as far as like like even besides all the benefits of just like uh, using React and using JavaScript, where if you're coming from the web, that's really nice. There's a lot of really great experiences as a, de- as a developer as well. Yeah, you know that hot reloading to me, especially with the app I'm currently working on, is so enticing because you know I compile my app, you know, how many hundreds of times a day probably, mm-hmm. and it takes a good two minutes to get it on the device. And so you know you stack that over a year of development, like that, <laughs> like like hours and hours and hours of time. So that's super interesting. Yeah, and I think why React Native is so popular is because as a web developer, you're not really making sacrifices to develop on uh, native, I guess. Like if, if you're coming from web, you're used to hot module replacement. You're used to like live reload and all of those really nice uh, experiences. Right. And yeah. so, so luckily, you, I mean, obviously there's a bunch more benefits you get when you go native, uh, but you're at least not having to like sacrifice those experiences that you're used to in order to go native, which I think is really enticing. I'm, I'm going to push back, though, a little bit on the sacrifices you make to go native or not to go native, because the way that I understand JavaScript core works is that, sure, it's a JavaScript process running on a JavaScript virtual machine. But my understanding is, is that the performance and other aspects of JavaScript core are comparable to Swift or Objective-C once you build and compile them. And the the other end of it is that all of your components or all of your views in React Native or NativeScript or otherwise JavaScript core application are native. And these changes are being made by calling into another process that's running as a Swift or Objective-C runtime application. And then that's what's going in and updating the view. So it is very comparable in performance and behavior to the Objective-C or Swift setup. I think the places where you fall down a little bit are the places where if you're building a cross-platform app, you have to do something different on Android than you do on iOS. And so you wind up branching your code or building something into your build process so that you can handle those things. But for all the things that they have in common, such as menus and tables and the way that it handles views and lists and all that stuff, it's, it's pretty comparable across the board. Yeah, so this is actually interesting. Let's dive into this a little bit because... Uh, so so for the last year, kind of my background, as I mentioned, I've been building a React Native iOS app pretty much primarily. And so I knew I was coming on the show and I haven't at that point, which was Monday, I haven't really dove into React Native for Android yet. So I, I really want to do that because I wanted to come on here and be able to speak to both platforms. Uh, so Monday morning, I took our app that I've been working on for about a year and built an Android version of it in a day. And it probably needs about another like three to four hours of work in order to be like ready to go to production. But it was it was just like amazing because kind of as you mentioned, Chuck, the experience from going from iOS to Android was as smooth as I would have like ever hoped for. Essentially, all I did was um, obviously like there are two different platforms; they have two different like styles. So what I did was with our iOS app, we have just like a normal footer that switches views 
But with Android, instead of having a normal footer, we put kind of our navigation in like a drawer, like a slide out drawer. So basically all of like our underlining logic code is still the exact same. And even most of our style code is the exact same because when you switch platforms, like the fonts get switched out and all those native things get switched out. And then just the way we navigate in the app is different. So yeah, from from building an, an iOS app for about a year and then building one that's very comfortable on Android took about a day, which was just like incredible. Yeah, we uh, we talked to Orta. What's his last name? Thoreau. Thoreau, yeah. Orta Thoreau. And, and he last week and he had an exact like similar experience which you know he had worked on the ios version for months and then in like two days he was like oh cool android app yeah it's it's incredible basically what so the way it works is um and he might have explained this i'll just explain it really quickly so if you have like a footer.js file what you basically do if you want that to be specific to ios um, you just change it to footer.ios.js. And then when you're on an iPhone, React Native is smart enough to just ignore the footer.js file and render the footer.ios.js file. Um, and the same thing for Android. So if you have, it was basically the, essentially what I did was I just swapped out the files for our like navigation and changed them with a .ios or .android extension and then put like the platform specific code in there. And then it kind of just worked, which was, which was amazing. That sounds amazing. So when I downloaded, uh, you know, React Native is open source, so I've, I've looked at kind of some of the source code. When I when I looked a couple of years ago, it, it looked to me like, you know, it's using UIKit, but I mean, it's basically just using views, and they kind of had to re-engineer most of, you know, like rendering lists and navigation and all that kind of stuff. So I'm assuming that's still the case, because that's the approach they had before. But that... To me, it worried me just a little bit because now we have like, you know, layers upon layers upon layers. And it just seems like a, a big maintenance task. So does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. So I've actually never looked at the code. All of that. I mean, I'm like a pure web developer, meaning I'm like scared of all things Java and Objective-C. So I haven't dove, dove into the source code too much. From what I know, I know they did like their own Flexbox implementation or they did at the time a, a year and a half, two years ago. But as far as like the underlining primitives of what's going on, like I, I'm so for people who don't really know web like me, what is Flexbox? So Flexbox is just it's essentially you can think of it as like CSS 2.0, kind of, where basically it just gives you kind of more power over styling an application. And the whole I basically like the one line takeaway for Flexbox is with uh, just like regular CSS and Flex. I keep talking about them like they're different but they're like kind of the same thing with like the old way of styling you basically you have like classes and ids and then you basically just pick an element and that element styles itself with flexbox you kind of inverse that so instead of the kind of the child element styling themselves you just have kind of the parent be able to have more control over the children element so on 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 web this works really well even on uh Native, it, it probably works even better because you you're able to basically create these nice fluid layouts without having a bunch of like one-off styles like you're kind of used to a CSS if you've done CSS before. Okay, so Flexbox can replace UI appearance. I'm okay with it. Yeah, so I, I, I think don't... It, anything that can replace UI appearance is probably a good thing. So Tyler, Tyler has no idea what we're talking about with UI. Appearance. Literally, no idea. No, but I, I, <laughs> I, I trust I trust that if you say it needs to be it needs to be replaced, then I'm I'm all for it. So. But essentially, it's how you style your app, how your buttons look. You've got a 
smaller subset of a button, you can you can do that one thing. And it's a logical way of doing your layouts, fonts, colors, that type of thing. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah it's a lot different than than the web because you know with UI Kit, you we have so many things at our disposal just automatically. You know, buttons and navigation bars and toolbars and all this stuff. And so having UI appearance is a way to style these elements that we don't have direct control over. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway. Yeah, there was, so I don't know him personally. I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. Andy Madushak. Uh, he's at Khan Academy right now, I think. Yep, uh, I'm familiar with him. Yeah, so I think he did some like uh, UI kit stuff or worked on like, uh, yeah, so here's, I'm looking for a specific tweet. Here's a tweet. So he tweeted. I, I know this tweet. Yeah, it's a, it's a popular <laughs> one. I loved it because I'm a web guy. Uh, but yeah, he tweeted, I stay with confidence as a former UI kit author. React's model for the UI later is vastly better than UI kits. React Native is a huge deal. So that was a few years ago. And that's the moment when I, you know, also was like, oh man, React Native is probably going to be a big thing was when he said that. So yeah, for sure. So, and I mean, yeah, yeah. Styling things with React Native is just, it, it's not a breeze, but I have no complaints to it, but I've heard a lot of complaints from like native, like iOS developers about like whatever it is that you guys do for styling. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it's a, an improvement, whether it's just slightly or not. So I'm curious a little bit, the basic building blocks. So if you have a, a view with a button, you click on the button, it goes to a web service, downloads some data, and shows another view. How, how does that get translated into into the React world? Yeah, so good question. So so you can think of a React as like, and, and again, I have like no idea how things are done in a like native iOS land. So I might I might be explaining like the exact same thing you you guys do. But essentially, so with React, everything is like a component. So you just have like components built on components and they nest components. And so a really popular pattern in React is to have this idea of like container components and also like presentational components. So the way that I structure a React app is all of my like business logic, all of my Ajax requests, those are all in what I call like a, a container component. And then the, the sole purpose of a container component is either, either to like manage state or to like fetch some state from some database and then get that state and then pass that state down to presentational components just to render the view. So the idea is that you have these like smart components that that understand the data and they manage the state and then you have these presentational components which all they do is they receive data from their parent component and then they just render it to the view. Um, so it's really nice because you can like the same way that you reason about functions in JavaScript or even other programming languages as well, is you can take that kind of the same, the same way you think about that and apply it to like your UI now, where you have, where all you're doing is you have one function which goes and fetches some data, and then you're passing that data to another function which just receives it and displays it to the view. So as far as like the mental model for React, it's really nice because it's just that kind of that process. And that model, I mean, can it be broken down? Like, is there flexibility to kind of I don't know, like ruin that model because yeah. the re the reason why I ask is because it is in UI kit, like it's, it's really easy to kind of step out of the bounds of the MVC architecture. So I'm just wondering if it's kind of the same in, in react. Uh, yeah. So they have, so you've probably heard of a thing called the redux, uh, which is, I, like, yep. Yeah. So it's gotten like hugely popular. So that paradigm came along and basically said, um, Hey, instead of keeping the state of your app in components, what if we keep the state of our app in just like this huge state tree and that will give us a lot of benefits because one, we have this like snapshot of the current state of our app. So you can do things like time travel debugging, which is really cool. 
but even if if like an error occurs, you can see like what the current state of your entire application was at one point. So that model, instead of like keeping state inside of component, it takes it, puts it in a store or like a, yeah, basically one big like JavaScript object. And then your components can subscribe to what parts of that store that they want. So if I have like a footer component, which needs to know the current tab we're on, then the footer component can just say, hey, Redux, uh, just keep, keep me updated whenever that particular part of the state changes, and then uh, I'll update accordingly. So, so, so it's kind of the same idea with, as I described, like container and presentational components. But instead of the state living inside the container, it's now living inside of like a Redux store, and then you just subscribe to those changes. So that's that's another paradigm that's like super popular, and it's really nice with React Native actually, because and this is this will be. I think interesting for you all is so when I went to native initially uh, with, with web, I'm so used to just like if I go to a new view, fetch data and then render it like I don't need to cache anything because it's cool with native. That's like not a good idea because when you're switching tabs, if you just fetch data every time you switch a tab and never cache anything, it's a terrible experience. So version like 1.0 of our app was every time you switched like a footer tab, you would go and fetch the data again. So that was kind of a learning experience for me. But with Redux, it's really nice because you can basically, when you go to a new view, you can say, hey, has this data been fetched before? Or basically, like, is it already in Redux? If it is, then render it. And if it's not, then go ahead and fetch it and then update Redux. So it's a, it's a really nice model for native as well. Well, and the other thing is, is a lot of that state is managed through pure functions called reducers. And yep. since, they're, since they're pure uh, functions, they don't have side effects or there are a few other properties related to that. But basically what it boils down to is, and, and this is where the time travel debugging comes in, is that those state changes are so simple and so easy to reason about that the machine can actually back up and back forward and you change your state and it just does the right thing. And it's really easy because you can just look at which of those reducers is being triggered and you can know beyond any certainty that it's just going to do the right thing. And so you change the state, you just know what it's going to be, you know what it's going to do, and it keeps things really simple and makes it really easy to test. Yeah, time travel debugging sounds magical to me, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, so, so time travel debugging is one of those things where like it it's kind of over, like it's it's one of those things where you like show your friends and you're like, hey, this is so cool. And you show like your developer buddies and they think it's really cool, but you never really use it. Though what I do like about kind of the re my, my favorite thing about Redux is kind of the developer tooling that surrounds it. So there's this thing. I don't know exactly what it's called. I think it's just called like Redux Dev Tools. Uh, but basically, so whenever I'm developing an app, I have these like Redux Dev Tools kind of open as well. So anytime my state changes or anytime I like dispatch an action to tell my state to change, I'm aware of that. So if something goes wrong, I can look at what actions were dispatched and exactly what changes were made to the mm -hmm. state in a very nice like user interface and kind of see what happened. And I can like revert to a specific commit or revert to a specific like state change. It's just it's just a really, really nice experience. Yeah, I'm recalling a time I think yesterday when I was doing some debugging, I stopped the program in a debugger. And I have my stack trace, right? But I've gone between a couple threads. And so I go back in the stack trace a little bit and it recorded the frames, but the state's lost. Like I can't even see where any, any of the state. And so I, I would take that time travel debugging any day. Yeah, it's awesome. So what are the downsides? I'm really curious, you know, from your your opinion or yeah, maybe anyone question. else, you know, what are the what are the downsides? So there definitely are some. So the downsides, yeah. So I've been there since like React Native point five and it's on like point three one right now. So I've like kind of seen it all. 
Upgrading with React Native is just a huge pain, and I, I haven't found a, a decent way to do it yet. So, th and this is kind of embarrassing, and everyone who's like in React Native line is going to like laugh at me for this. But basically, whenever it's time for us to upgrade, which is basically whenever they make a change to like React Native core that like I need to have, what I'll do is I'll just like initialize a brand new React Native project, and then I'll take like all of our code and just like migrate it to that new project rather than like trying to update the actual project that I have, and then I'll just like move my Git folder over. Why is that though? That seems I, so I don't dark. I don't know, but like I it's probably one of those things because I'm so naive with like the native world. If something breaks, I'm just like clueless to what's wrong. Uh, so like like one one example was we were running point one three for a, a while, but in point one four they introduced Android. So Android wasn't there from the beginning. So what when they did that, like the folder structure all changed and they input, they implemented like a bunch of brand new Android stuff. And so we tried to like upgrade with like the CLI that they have, and it just like didn't work and some stuff broke. And then like there's like Firebase wouldn't work with the new version and just like things like that where it's like because they're moving so quickly, which is great because like we're getting all these new features, but it, it, it sucks us from like a standpoint of like trying to maintain and upgrade a code base consistently. But yeah, I've, I've actually had really good luck with just like creating a new project, moving my stuff over, linking everything again. And it takes like probably like an hour, but it's not too bad. So that's probably like the biggest complaint I have. And they're super aware of it. And it's getting better every iteration. I think my issue is like, I just, I wait like 10 versions and that, then I try to upgrade. So it's just like, I kind of do it to myself. I did have some way back about six to eight months ago, I think as well, we were having some like animation issues where a route would change and then it would go and like fetch some data. Then there would be some jank there. But I think that again, that was probably my... Me, me being naive to the native platform because on web, this idea of like waiting for specific animations to end before you do anything heavy is like it's important, but it's not like critical. Where with native is if you if you're doing like a route change, but as that route's changing, you though you go and then uh, fetch some data from some API. Uh, there's going to be some issues there because it's like doing multiple things at once. Um, so they introduced this thing called Interaction Manager for React Native. So basically what it allows you to do is, is you can say like, hey, um, if there are any like animations running or if the, if the app's doing anything to do with like transitions or whatever, don't run this code. And that was like a lifesaver for my code base just because I can wrap everything in these like Interaction Manager callbacks. And so basically now whenever I do route changes, I don't have to worry about like two things or I don't have to worry about anything happening during the route transition because that'll kind of, I guess, wait for that transition to finish before it goes and runs that code. So those are probably my two biggest complaints. The transition one has been fixed now, and the upgrading one, I think it's getting better, but it's it's still kind of a pain. So that that sounds like a side effect of not being able to do like some proper threading. So is, is that the case? Like, are you I think so. with just like one thread? Uh, so the way it works is all of your JavaScript runs on like this like JS or JavaScript core thread. So uh -huh. I would I would assume like like I don't even know how like if you asked me to like start doing multi-threading in a React Native app, I wouldn't even know like how to do it or if it's even possible. Um, so I think because that because I just said that I think that's the answer to your question is yes. Yeah, interesting. So does that cause any problems with like animations? Because if you use like a Cordova app, I can spot a Cordova app from yeah, 10 feet away definitely. just because oh, yeah. <laughs> don't look right. Yeah, uh, with yep. React Native. And you can native components like do animations scroll and do things? Do they look do they look native? Yeah. So I haven't had so we have so so the idea of our app that we're building 
Uh, it's basically like a social network for individuals affected by cancer. So the idea is it's kind of like a Twitter mixed with Facebook kind of. So there's like a lot of lists. There's a lot of like posts. There's a lot of like user profiles. And with all of those, I've, I haven't noticed any like lists jank. So the, the only like animation issues that I've seen or when I'm like specifically doing route transitions, and even those are like in this new version of the app we're about to release, those will kind of all be gone just because of the process I just explained. So I don't, I don't know what they're doing under the hood as far as like making animations smooth or making lists smooth, but I've never had any issues with that. I can tell you some of it. So in Objective-C and Swift, you typically do a list with a UI table view, if I'm understanding <laughs> things correctly. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So so if that's the way you approach things, my understanding is is that React Native and NativeScript, because I've, I've talked a lot more to the NativeScript guys than the React Native guys, but they do things in a lot of the same way. And so what they do is, since JavaScript core can call into or, or spin up an Objective-C or Swift process, then what it does is it spins that up, it creates the UI table view, and corresponding view controller that has the APIs that the UI table view expects it to have, and then it feeds the data in. And so when it makes those calls, it calls back into JavaScript and says, here's the, here's the data you need to put into. So that scroll is basically what you would expect in a native app because it's a UI table view just like a native app. And so when you scroll it, it's gonna perform because it's a native rendered view just like you have in a, in a Swift app. And a lot of the other view type things are done in the same way. And yes, you can style them some, and we've talked a bit about that, but the default is just the default look and feel and performance level of a native app. And so uh, React Native apps are much harder to spot because it's not a web view that's customized and styled to look like a native view, it's actually a native view that makes calls back into the JavaScript to get what it needs in order to do its job. Does that make sense? Very cool. Yeah. 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 And that's that's so awesome. That's the that's what makes that's what makes React Native like for me a very approachable cross-platform approach. Yeah. One other thing I think is interesting here that I don't know if we've talked about is that people who are accustomed to and enjoy building applications in Swift and Objective C. I think a lot of them write this off as a tool that they're just never going to need because they're comfortable where they're at. But if you want to go build an Android app that is comparable to your iOS app, then there's no reason why this isn't a viable option for you there too. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're building iOS apps and you like the way you do that and you just want some other cross-platform system that will work on Android, and I think they're working on Windows Phone or some other systems as well, Yep. mobile systems. So if you're looking for things that will work on those and you just want to keep your iOS app the way it is and kind of pioneer the way that your app works and interacts with the user, then you can continue to do that in Swift. And then you can use these other tools to build the apps in the other platforms. So Tyler, um, one other thing that came to mind is you talked about route transitions. And you know this, I'm guessing that you know with React Native, the entire state of your app is accessible through through routes. Is that correct? Kind, kind of. of. So I, I don't okay. know. I, I think you have some like underlying knowledge about like how how like your view of routes in the world works that is different than mine because I'm coming from like web. So so I'm coming from web. Okay. Uh, that, that, okay. I'm coming from the web perspective of you know if I have a web app, if I've structured it right, then I can basically get anywhere through routes. 
Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's the same idea. React it's it's interesting. React Native is still trying to like figure out the best way to approach routing. So like initially there was a I think it was called like a navigator iOS component that you use for routing. And then they switched it to like a cross-platform, just a navigator component, which is really interesting because I don't really know how to describe it all just right now. But it but it's a it's a decent way of doing routing. And now they're experimenting. Uh, with a new version of routing called Navigator Experimental, and I'm assuming they'll change that name once it's out. But the whole idea of that one is you can like so so going. It's more like a Redux approach. So going back to what we talked about earlier, um, is if you want to change a route, you would just dispatch an action, and then the state of your router would change to that new route. So so there's it's kind of interesting because there's a f- few different ways to do routing right now in React Native, and I wouldn't say none of them are like super super interesting or super cool. The reason I bring this up is because there's not really much of a concept of routing in UIKit. And so I would say this is like a huge benefit because doing this stuff manually in UIKit is pretty tedious and a little bit difficult. And I find, you know, this, the, the routing and web apps and stuff to be significantly better um, in that regard. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe this is my, so I'm coming from like React router, which is like awesome. Uh, may, this is probably my like again one of those moments where like I love React Router and it's so great. And when I go to React Native, it's not as good as React Router, so I judge it. But it sounds like it's still really great comparatively to other other things. Uh, yeah, I would say it's it's vastly superior. <laughs> nice. Superior. I'll stop complaining about it then. Yeah, in fact, you know, <laughs> in our in our app that we have right now, we have a few routes that our app uh, accepts. And it's basically a bunch of custom code that says, oh, hey, you want to go here? Okay, let me create this view controller and push it on the stack. Oh, I need to go here after that. Okay, let me create this view controller and push it on the stack. You know, so like it's not it's not a magical route system. It's it's gotcha. Gotcha. I'm hoping that or I was hoping that you could also talk to us just for a minute about our NPM. Yeah, so this is really cool. Initially, so that again, you're going to get my spill from like a web website. So initially, one of the hardest things That's about people are pretty familiar with CocoaPods, and I think the it's the same idea. Yeah. So so initially, with probably the hardest thing for me with React Native was whenever I had to like link a native module into my code. So like 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 I up until I started, I had I had never opened Xcode before. So like for example, there's a library called React Native Vector Images. Um, and in order to do that, you have to, in order to use it, you have to go and basically link that library with Xcode and also with like Android Studio. Uh, what you used to have to do is you used to have to go, and as, as I'm sure you all are familiar with, I think, um, is basically go and go to Xcode and go into like build phases or whatever and, and do all that linking. But now what you can do is there's a tool. It used to be called RNPM, and now it's actually tied into like React Native Core. Or you can basically just say like you can da- basically npm install, which is kind of like, um, from what I understand, your version of like Cocoa Pods or just like pod install. So you could like npm install a specific package, and then instead of having to open up Xcode and Android Studio and, and like manually link the package, you can just run React Native Link, and it'll go and kind of do all that for you. So that was really nice for me specifically because like Xcode just freaks me out so much, and I always break stuff. That now instead of like I, like when I when I develop, I never really have Xcode open just because. Um, to run a React Native app, you just run from like the CLI React Native run iOS or run Android, and that will open up the simulator for you. And then when you need to like on those rare occasions when you do need to link a package, um, you can just run React Native link from the uh, CLI, which is really nice. 
I love to hear the Xcode freaks you out. It does. It's so <laughs> scary. Well, I'm coming from like I'm coming from like Sublime, which is just like you <laughs> yeah. just you just open it up and that's it. There's like no you, there's not even like a play button. You just like run it, you know. So yep, yep. It's yep. scary. You know, I've, I've been that's using Xcode for ten years off and on it still kind of freaks me out so and the idea of like having to like clean <laughs> stuff i don't know how many times like i would like make changes and it wouldn't work and i'd spend like a day trying to figure it out and then i would be like oh yeah i think i need to like clean this i don't know what that does but then i would clean it and it would like work so i don't know it just freaks me Set out the simulator you're gold yeah exactly do, do the xcode dance yep <laughs> there's like the three steps of it won't work you know with xcode it's oh do a clean build reset the simulator and then restart your computer yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> i i learned all three of those steps the the hard way trust me yeah so how do you go about testing a react native application great question so it's very similar to just the web app i haven't done too much too much testing with react native just because like and that's terrible to say just because like we're in startup land and we were trying to get an mvp out initially but but i Assume it's very similar to web. And what's nice about Redux is because, as you mentioned, Chuck, earlier, you have all of these kind of like just functional components that just receive data and out, output some view. Essentially, what you can do is, is there's a few different ways to do it. Uh, but I think the most popular one with React and with Redux specifically is basically you're just testing the output of those functional components or, or you're even just testing like the input because you can assume if the input's the same, then the output's going to be the same as well. So I don't know. I don't think a specific pattern or a specific library has really like come to the forefront of testing React Native app. And it's kind of the same with React as well. Like there's Enzyme by Airbnb, which is nice. From there hasn't been like a specific tool that the community has has like rallied around. Like that's the way we do testing. Um, and even like Facebook is pushing Jest now. So like there's a few different ways. I don't think any of them are like amazing or like the community way to do it. I think it's all just pretty standard. Yeah, it makes sense. There are a lot of great tools out there for testing JavaScript and yep. you know, 99% of unit testing is the same no matter what language you use. Yeah, exactly. Very cool. So how do you, like when iOS 10 comes out and there's new features in iOS 10, how do you take advantage of that before React does? Or is that even possible? I don't, that's a good question. I've never even thought about that. I'm assuming, yeah, so 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 there there is this idea of bridging with React Native. So I talked about earlier, like React Native vector images or whatever. Like, if there is some native thing that you need to do, and I don't know if this specifically answers your question, but you can write like a bridge. So basically, you can write some Objective C or Swift code that is able to do something, but that basically gives an API to the JavaScript code, your JavaScript land, so that your JavaScript can then like basically invoke some function that goes and runs some native module. Um, I don't know if that that specifically answers like. How do you get those benefits from an upgrade? But I personally have never really like had that want. I, I know eventually I will, like when when there are upgrades, but I but I haven't yet. Yeah, I'm sure that's how you would do it then, because you know, in iOS 10, for example, they're kind of revamping the entire notification system, and I yep. you know I doubt React will have that right out the gate. Yep. And so you know you would just write a native module and and bridge to it. So that makes sense for sure. And what's nice about too. The JavaScript communities, it's so, I mean, there's so many people doing JavaScript, there's so many people doing React Native that I've never personally had to write a bridge just because like whatever I've needed to do, there's always been a project or a module that's already doing it. And that's been really, really nice. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. Most of these teams too, because like I said, I, I've talked to Ruby Motion, which, you know, has to maintain parity with the current state of the art, so to speak, uh, with iOS development. I know the some of the folks that work on NativeScript, and usually within a week or two, 
they they have those features in tested and ready to go and the other thing is is that you know we we get developer previews for some of this stuff and so it's not like when they announce it that it's a a big huge great surprise and b that we haven't already had it for a month if we really wanted to fiddle with it true yeah that's true in fact you know in ios land we get yeah, three about three months. You know, so that seems like plenty of time to get it in. Yep. So by the time people have it on their phone, it's usually pretty well built and tested. Well, we've been uh, talking or trying to make Skype for, work for about an hour. Is there anything else that we should uh, go into before we get to picks? Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered we covered it all. We covered the strength weaknesses. Yeah, I, I, I feel good about it. I, I have one final question for you, Tyler. Yep. So, you know, Facebook's put their weight behind React Native and React and this whole ecosystem. Yep. So so do you think that, you know, that Facebook's goal is to create, you know, like the new generation of app development with this? Oh, that's tricky. So I I can tell you what they say that <laughs> that I think has, has held pretty true <laughs> from what they've done. Uh, okay. so, so Facebook is interested, and they're very transparent about this. Facebook is interested in creating the best product for Facebook. They've always said that, like, like if... If for whatever reason, like if there's ever something that the community needs, but that Facebook doesn't care about, they'll just ask the community to build it. So to answer your specific question, like I'm not too worried about it just because what Facebook needs currently is aligned with what I need and like what helps me out. But it is interesting just watching kind of how everything happens because I mean, Facebook is a business and they want to make money. And so I I think that their number one thing for React or React Native is just to help themselves build better products. And the kind of the side effect of that is just like building an amazing community and having all these people who now know their specific thing that they use at Facebook and being able to recruit better and all of those like side effects. But I really think the underlying principle is like they want to help Facebook build better apps. I, that's fair. That, that I think is a great response because, you know, it's not like Facebook could figure out this amazing cross-platform way to make apps and then somehow, you know, like make money from that, you know, yeah, like exactly. they're never going to be able to do that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Jane, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. I'm going to do a, a book pick. So my wife and I were downsizing, so I'm getting rid of a bunch of books and stuff. And one book I read fairly recently over the past few years, I really liked it. I think a lot of other people would like it. It's Cannery Row by John Steinbeck. And most of us, at least in the U.S., you know of John Steinbeck from writing depressing Dust Bowl novels that you know I read him in high school. This is Cannery Row. Uh, it's set in Monterey, California, kind of a skid row. It's it's hilarious. Um, it's laugh out loud funny. Just people that live in this area, their interactions with each other, they get into weird situations. So very entertaining read. Cannery Row in Monterey, in Monterey, in, Can- in California, is a poem, a stink, a grating noise, a quality of light, a tone, a habit, a nostalgia, a dream. Um, but it's also a great book. So if you're looking for something to read that is hilarious uh, check it out cannery row by john steinbeck yeah, i remember reading his books in high school and going uh <laughs> <laughs> so <Yep>. sad so <laughs> sad all right lane did we get your picks uh yeah so my pick this week is no man's sky so this is a video game if you haven't heard of it that is set in in what they call an infinite infinitely large universe and I was a little bit hesitant about it. And on Monday night, I just kind of made an impulse decision and bought it. And I'm truly amazed at the, the scale 
of this game. So it's a space exploration video game. And as a, as a programmer, the technology behind it is just like a wonder to me because they claim that there are, if I remember right, it's eight, it's like 18 quintillion planets in this universe. So you're talking, I think it's like 19 zeros. So it's, it's, you know, in essence, it's, it's infinite. And I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's just a super cool, like technology wonder to me to, to I just want to know how they accomplished that. So super cool. Really cool. I recommend it. All right. I've got a couple of picks. Uh, one pick that I have, it's kind of an older movie, but we got highlights of it uh, when I did Wood Badge a couple of weeks ago. And they were teaching us about team building. And we so anyway, so we watched clips from it. It's Remember the Titans, which is just a great movie. I, I really enjoy that movie. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and pick that. And yeah, I think I think that's all I got this week. It's been kind of a nutso week. Tyler, what are your picks? Cool. So I have two. The first one is Dan Abramoff's talk from React Europe over a year ago now. So this was kind of his introduction to the dev world. He's the one who built Redux and a bunch of other cool tooling around Redux. Um, so this is his talk where he introduces like kind of Redux or he talks about Redux and he introduces like hot module replacement, time travel debugging, kind of all the things we talked about. Um, so that's a really cool kind of piece of history in the web world, I guess you can watch. And the second one I mentioned earlier, React.js program is a, a website I run where, which basically teaches people about React. There's a free, so if you if you heard this and you're like, hey, I want to learn more about React, there's a free fundamentals course that from what I've heard is the best way to kind of get up to date with the fundamentals of React. And there's also going to be a React Native course that I am hoping to release by the end of this month that you can check out as well. Very cool. We also had Dan Abramoff on JavaScript Jabber a while back to talk about React and React Native. Yeah, he's uh, incredible. Or React and Redux, sorry. And then Tyler was also on JavaScript Jabber a while back talking yep. about careers. So uh, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. I'm also going to put a link into the show notes for our episode about JavaScript core with Cesare Rocchi. And hopefully that will give people an idea on how some of this works behind the scenes if you're interested in that. But yeah, Tyler, if people want to know more about you, follow you on Twitter, see what other awesome stuff you're up to these days, what do they do? I am at Tyler McGinnis 33 on Twitter. That's the best way. Awesome. We'll go ahead and wrap this show up and we'll catch you all next week. Goodbye. See Thanks, ya. Tyler. Yeah, thank you.